Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. We are, as we, as we go through this weekend and remembering the sacrifice that, that men and women in uniform have made for us, sometimes it's easy for things like that to raise questions of, of why those things even have to happen. Why, why is it out there? Why do bad things happen to good people, whether it seems random or someone has done something to us or someone we care about very, very much? And I dare say that if we lived any length of time, all of us have had some aspect of our lives, some experience that wasn't right, that wasn't fair, that, that uh, was an injustice that in many cases may have great, brought a lot of suffering, a lot of trial, a lot of adversity in our lives. And we want to kind of think through that this morning as a part of this series, Q&A, Questions and Apologetics, where we're trying to ask some of the questions that sometimes folks uh, want to know about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and, and how do we deal with some of these things. Some of the questions are the kind of questions that keep some people from making a commitment because the, the answers they are aware of or the thoughts that they have around it don't, don't seem to connect with a loving God. And so whether that's someone you know or it's you, we're hoping that this will help. As we look at what's called apologetics, which is simply defending the faith from attacks and misunderstandings. And our goal in this, something we want to do in the coming weeks especially, is begin to give you some tools, websites, books, other things like that that you can use so that when questions come up either for you or for others, that you're not dependent simply on when the preacher decides to preach a message on it, but that you are seeking answers yourself, and you are helping others find those answers. So uh, keep that in mind as we go through this, and, and, and remember that, especially in a series like this, I mean, we're really, there, there's got to be a lot of humility on all of our parts. There are, sometimes answers are very cut and dry, but sometimes they aren't cut and dry, and, and sometimes uh, as I'm preparing, I'm very aware that some things I say, many of you may agree, sometimes some of you may not agree, and I want to tell you that's okay. There, there are some of the things we're looking at today where if God had clearly spelled it out, they wouldn't be the questions. But it, it is specifically in some of those areas where they're not so clear. And so, I, I, I mean, I, I pray on this a lot. I hope you're praying and, and just remind us to, to approach all this with humility. Questions like the one we're looking at this morning are asked in all kinds of ways, but it comes back basically to this, this kind of this question, why do bad things happen to good people? Why, why did bad, something bad happen to me? Why did something bad happen to somebody I care about? They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't deserve that. You know, and, and those are the kind of questions that often run through our minds. When we look to the Bible, we see a couple of different ideas running through it. One of them shows kind of what we think is a, is a general rule, what we expect, that the wicked perish while the good are rewarded. And, and it's kind of the way we all really want life to be. We want life to be fair. We, we believe it ought to be. There ought to be some fairness in all this. And the Bible says, Psalm 145, the Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. And books like, in the Old Testament, historical books like Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Samuel's, Kings and Chronicles really kind of express this idea of fairness and, and justice. 
in lots of ways. But here's the thing. If you and I are honest, we have to, we look around us, we don't always see things that are fair. We, we see good people, people who have worked hard in the community, uh, whether they're people of faith or not, experiencing trials and adversity and things that just don't seem right. And at the same time, see people who seem like they're nothing but a drag on society for whom things seem to be going really well. And you, you kind of think, what is this? So we, the Bible recognizes that sometimes bad things happen to good people, but other times it's not as clear. Um, Ecclesiastes says, in this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. The Bible says, I mean, that's not just me saying that. God himself says that some of this appears so meaningless to you and to me, and, and, and we don't like it, and, we don't, and we, we don't like things to be unfair, and we don't understand it, and yet we see it. And some of us, when we see it, we even start to question, well, then is there really a God out there if this kind of stuff is happening? Or is he a, a good God? Or is he a vengeful God? Or is he an all-powerful God if he allows these kinds of things to happen? It's such a big issue that, that God gives a whole book of the Bible to confront this difficulty, the book of Job, about a man named Job. And we're going to look at that this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open to that. We have the notes, uh, or, or the YouVersion Bible app is also available. But beginning right in the beginning of Job, it says, There once was a man named Job. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. That's a great description of the kind of guy that most of us would have aspired to be like. And chapter 1 goes on to tell us he was the epitome of the good guy. He, was, he had wealth, he was healthy, uh, he had a good family, um, and, and they pleased God in everything they did. And yet because he was so good, Satan wants to test Job to see if he will remain faithful when stuff goes bad. You know, um, it, it's easy to say to be faithful when things are going well, when things are going our way, when it's happening the way we think it ought to. But what about the hard times? You know, does, does faith work? Is God really there in the midst of that? And so we see God allowing testing, and ultimately Job loses his wealth. He loses his health and, and much of his family. And, 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 and this is not just glib stuff. I mean, this is, this is gut-wrenching kind of things. This is the stuff that is the worst nightmare for many of us, a nightmare that some of you have even lived through to varying degrees. It seems like more than anyone can take. But even as he suffers, the Bible tells us in all this, Job said nothing wrong. And at this point, some of you, if you're, if you're honest, are probably wondering, why did God even allow Satan to do this? And it's a really, really good question. And I'm just going to tell you, the answer is not clear. The Bible does not give us a, a, a complete explanation of why this happens. Most scholars look at this and believe God certainly has the power to prevent Satan from doing anything or, or even from keeping you and me from sinning. And it's clear in the story that God has placed limits on what Satan can do to Job, 
But if God is constantly inserting himself into our lives to prevent every bad thing from happening, then he's preventing us from living out our will. And so it means we really don't have free will. And some of us have to think, does that really qualify as existence as a human being if we don't have any choice in some things? It appears, at least, that free will is, is so essential to what it is that makes you and me human beings. And it gives our lives meaning and purpose because we are making decisions. We are not robots. And I, I look at this and I, it makes some sense to me, but I'm not saying this is the end-all or the be-all. This is one of those things, it's not totally clear. But what we can affirm is this, that through no fault of his own, Job is now suffering. I mean, he is really suffering. And it's at this point then that three friends come to his aid. And what they do at first is probably the smartest thing they're going to do the whole time with him. Jumping to chapter 2, it says, When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamathite. By the way, you know why I, I, I know how to say those? Because I said them fast, and I acted like I did. Sometimes we don't know how to say stuff. I'm, I'm just telling you. Hebrew didn't have vowels. We don't know what it actually sounded like. So just do the best you can. No one will, no one will wonder. Because they don't know either. So when they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. That was a very common practice in biblical times in the East, Middle East. It was to tear your clothes and throw dust. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that kind of happening a number of times. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. I mean, when someone has gone through a really hard time, when they are really struggling, hurting, suffering, the truth of the matter is that there are no words that are adequate. And in fact, some of us get so scared by it when we see it in someone else that we don't say anything or we don't do anything because we think, I don't know what to do. I, don't, I feel so inadequate. I feel like I don't have anything to offer. Now I want to tell you, I feel that way a pastor. been doing this for 30 years, and I still walk into situations. I don't know what to say. I don't. There's a part of me that wants to fix it every time. Maybe you feel that way too. It feels like I want to, I want to make it right. And God hasn't given me that responsibility nor gift. In many cases, he hasn't given that to you either. And sometimes, it is simply doing what we can. You know, instead of worrying about what we ought to do, to just do what we can. Just be there. When a person is suffering and in the midst of grief, often the best gift we can give them is simply to be there. The gift of our presence. Because it says so much. I mean, when we're in the middle of something like that, if you've been, it's not that we necessarily think somebody is going to, to make it all good. They're going to say a magic word or a certain prayer and all of our problems go away. It doesn't work that way. 
our presence shows so much of being with them. When there are no words that are adequate. And that's exactly what Job's friends did for a while, for seven days. But then Job starts talking, and, and when he starts talking, they feel obligated to respond, to, to fix what he's saying, to correct him, and, and set him straight in the midst of his grief and suffering. And when people talk out in the midst of grief, the last thing that, that we ought to be doing is correcting them. Because often it's coming out of deep hurt and deep emotion. And, and God is big enough to take some of the things that some of us and others say in the midst of huge problems. And he doesn't, he's not dependent on us to make it all right. He's, he's, he's expressing here, Job, classic feelings that any of us who perhaps have been in this situation could relate to. He said, curse that day for letting me be born to see all this trouble. Some of you have been that in that kind of place in life where you wish you had never been born, where the pain is so deep, so incomprehensible that you don't see a way forward. You don't see how it's going to be right again. You don't know what to do, and you feel it would just have been better if I had never been born. How do we get through that? Job said, what I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quiet. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. In the midst of hard times when we're going through something like that, whether it's something that's happened uh, unbeknownst to anyone in particular or somebody has actually done it to us, it is really hard to take the long view, to remember good that has happened before in my life and that will happen again. In that moment, all I know, all you know, is that we hurt we hurt bad. And Job is really hurting and questioning God. Now, if, you're, if we're a Christ follower and we're with someone who's suffering and we hear them questioning God, we think, you're not supposed to say that or don't do that. Or they may even say something that we feel like is blasphemous, so we try to reason with them, as Job's friends are going to do. And, and yet, that never helps. The only thing is, as we look to the Bible, what we do see is this, this kind of raw honesty over and over of, from people who are supposed to have great faith, in fact, have great faith, people like David, whom the Bible said was a man after God's own heart, and yet what has happened to them is gut-wrenching. In Psalm 35, David said, How long, O Lord, will you look on and do nothing? Rescue me from these fierce attacks. Protect my life from these lions. Psalm 22, he, he began, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you don't answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. And It's not stuff that we ought to try to fix. In fact, sometimes when we're in that position, we, we need to say those things. David is hurting. He's struggling. He doesn't understand. He doesn't feel God is responding or helping him. He speaks for us. He speaks for, for Job. 
We ask why. We question a lot of things, including God. And the fact that these scriptures are even here in the Bible tells us God understands. God is not saying you should never do that. He's not saying you're wrong. Because in fact, David did it. He understands that it can be so hurtful, so overwhelming. Job's friends, though, they don't like what they hear. And so they offer him advice and these pop explanations about why bad things happen to him. Eliphaz told Job, innocent and honest people are protected from pain. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 7, the innocent will not die. Honest people will never be destroyed. And, of course, the implication here is that, that Job and his family must not be innocent. They must not be honest or they wouldn't be suffering so much. Bildad told Job he was suffering because of the sins of his family. If his kids, he and his kids had only done the right things, none of this would have ever happened. Your children must have sinned against God, so their punishment was well-deserved. Don't you hate hearing that? Zophar told Job that if he depended on God completely and stayed away from sin, his pain and suffering would go away. He says, surrender your heart to God. Turn to him in prayer and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Then you won't be ashamed and you'll be confident and fearless. Your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge. Oh, everything will be wonderful. Just buck up. Eliphaz told Job that the remedy of his pain was to obey God and study his word. He said, submit to God and you will have peace. Then things will go well for you. Listen to his instructions and store them in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. So clean up your life. Now, it's not that the the suggestions are totally off base. In fact, some of them are good. Doing good, studying God's word, depending on him. Those are all good things. And many times we really are suffering because of our own sin. There are consequences to the decisions that we make that often come back to us in ways that we didn't anticipate that are even horrible sometimes. It's important for us to take some time to look at ourselves honestly with God's help. But here's the thing about Job's friends. They believed that Job was suffering because he or his family were guilty of something. Their their thought was that when you see suffering, it means somebody has done something wrong. Suffering is always the result, they're they're saying, of you sinning, of you doing something wrong. But the reality of life is there's sometimes you or I suffer things that we didn't do anything wrong. It didn't happen to us. In the midst of all this, even Job starts to wonder if God isn't really just playing with him and looking for a reason to zap him. You ever felt like that? And God's just, he's just waiting to get me. He's just waiting. He's just looking for the excuse to zap me. Job said, your real, yet your real motive, your true intent was to watch me. And if I sinned, you would not forgive my guilt. And it can feel that way, especially when we're in the midst of it. It, it almost, sometimes it feels like dogpiling on us. Stuff happens one thing after another. And yet the Bible is very clear here that Job was not guilty of anything. That God didn't cause these things. And yet they still happened. They still happened. And before this story is over, God's going to rebuke Job's friends because they didn't speak the truth. They had quick, easy answers. And in this case, they were mistaken. 
And then God turns to Job and questions Job. He said, where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. After listening to God for a while, Job realizes there is more to God. He knows more stuff, and, and, and what he does is beyond what all of us could ever hope to fully comprehend because he's infinite, and we are finite. We're in one place at one time with a brain that can only take in so much. We're not God. We live in a world racked with sin. We live in a world in which there is evil, clearly. We live in a world where sometimes we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so some things that we can affirm first is that there are some things we are just not going to understand, at least this side of heaven. You and I need to grab hold of that. We need to realize we're not going to figure everything out. We're not going to have an answer for everything that comes along. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. If we understood it all, if we could figure it all out, we would be God of what it means to be God, to know everything. And, but in fact, was that not the temptation of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 to Adam and Eve? You eat of that fruit and you will know everything. You will know right from wrong. You will have it all figured out. And that continues to be the temptation that somehow we ought to be able to figure it all out, have all the answers, make it all come out just fine. Truth of the matter is, I have a lot of questions for God. I do. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say that. And, and I'm not ashamed to say there's sometimes things you ask or I ask, and there's not an easy answer or there is no answer that comes my way. We're always tempted to ask the why questions. And, and it is okay to ask them for a while. But the danger is getting stuck there and expecting that we will get an answer and maybe being mired in our own drowning circumstance and never allowing God to take us out of there. I've seen it, you've seen it, maybe you're even there where people get stuck. God doesn't want us stuck. He may not give us all the answers, but if we stay in the wise, we get discouraged, we focus on things that aren't going to help and we're not going to get an answer. But in the midst of those struggles, in the midst of our questions, the Bible affirms that God loves us and cares about us. No matter, no matter how fair or unfair things in this life are. I mean, stuff happened to Jesus, whom the Bible tells us he never did anything wrong. He didn't sin. He was innocent in the truest sense of the word. And yet the Bible says, think of all the hostility Jesus endured from sinful people. And if this stuff happened to Jesus, the son of God, if he suffered when he did nothing wrong, should we believe that 
somehow our lives are going to be easier? That somehow we are going to escape adversity, struggle, trouble, bad stuff? Let me tell you, there are no promises in the Bible that life will be fair, at least not in this life. And if you question that, look at Jesus. Life is not fair. And for some of us, that's, a, that's a, an affirmation we, we need to grab hold of. Life is not fair, but God is good. And he will love us in the midst of that. People may have done bad stuff to you. It could be, you may just be, even right now, in a really tough place, and I'm sorry. And I want to tell you, there's a part of me I would love to fix every one of us in this room. Nothing. I would love to fix you. Fix me. I really do. Just as we, we parents can or won't necessarily answer every question our children ask us, so God, for his own reasons, does not answer all our questions, but he loves us in the midst of it even when we are asking them, even when they don't seem like the right questions that we ought to be asking God. The Bible says, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that's what we are. In fact, God loves you and me so much, even in the midst of of our sinfulness, that through Jesus Christ, he offers to adopt us into his family. The Bible said, while we were still sinners, not when we had started trying to do something better, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us proves how much God loves us. And so much that he wants to adopt us into his family. Guys, adoption is not an accident. Adoption is not something you do if you're only a little interested. Adoption is one of the most intentional, concerted decisions any of us ever would make to bring children into our lives. You may, you may not feel you deserve that gift or that what's happened to you or what people have done to you maybe in some way disqualifies you from being his child. Let me tell you, that's a lie straight from hell. It's never been about what you or I do. Just as it's never been about our children, we love them because they did good. We love them because they're ours. And God says, I love you because you are mine. And I will adopt you into my family intentionally because I love you. That's why we offer ministries like Celebrate Recovery, The Landing, Prayer Ministry, Marriage Mentors, Grief Share, our military ministry network. We come alongside you to, to keep telling all of us this truth. God does love you, not because you've done good, not because you've done bad, but because he created you and he loves you. Ultimately, he's here for you, and he offers his church as a tool to walk alongside you in this journey to help you find his healing. But sometimes God has has bigger plans for us than just getting us through tough times. 
See, because here's the thing. God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. Now, that's not what we necessarily want to hear. But God's goal is not to order life so that we're always happy, but so that through the power of his spirit living in followers of Jesus Christ, we can become more and more like his son, not for easy life now, but for eternal joy forever. There's some things that you and I are going to only learn when all the easy answers are gone. Struggle, adversity, often they push us to God. And it's only with God that we have the the potential for a joy-filled eternity. So we better start working at it now. In fact, someone once said, this life is really just the kindergarten of the life to come. It's the place where we begin to learn and work at doing the things that we will do for the rest of our days. Many folks have over the years said to me that they would have never grown in their faith to the degree they did and trusted God as much as they do unless some struggle had come their way. And that's hard for some of us to hear, but in a survey, 87% of people said a painful event, death, illness, breakup, divorce, etc., caused them to find more positive meaning in life. I love what Dave Osborne wrote. He said, too often we try to use God to change our circumstances while God is using our circumstances to change us, to grow us. Because sometimes we won't change until we have no other choice, right? We get up against the wall. We don't want to change. We don't want to give up some of the things that are harmful to us. And we have to hit We have to hit bottom. The first step in any 12-step program, which in a sense, all of us who sin need a 12-step program, the very first thing to do is to confess that I am powerless over that which has bound me. And we are powerless against the power of sin on our own. And so Paul wrote, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I I read passages like that sometimes and I go, oh man, I'm supposed to rejoice when I have problems. But rejoice is not the same really as happiness. Happiness is how I feel. Joy is about a state of my heart, what God is doing. But there is nothing that it can ultimately defeat God. Paul, who had been beaten, stoned, run out of town, shipwrecked, could write this from his own life, from his own experiences. This was not just putting a positive spin on things, like somehow... You know, if I just read the right book or I attend the right club, everything's going to be fine. It may not be where you are today, but it is definitely worth considering that there may be just some value or some purpose that God can work in your life or mine in the midst of adversity and struggle that we will not discover any other way in life. God may not bring it upon us, but he may allow us to experience it to help us learn to trust in him when we have nothing else. I mean, let's be honest, some of us, we say we believe God, we say we trust in Jesus Christ, but we don't act like we do. 
I don't trust him with my finances. I don't trust him with my relationships. I don't trust him when somebody wrongs me that I'm supposed to, to love them back. No. Sometimes, guys, we got to get to the end of our rope. And at that point, tie a knot and just hold on and trust that God will get us through what we cannot do ourselves. Jesus said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. I mean, don't you hate to hear that? And yet at the same time, it's the truth. But Jesus says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. I mean, he faced in cruelty, injustice, and he says these things did not defeat him, and in fact, through him, he brought salvation to those who follow him. And the Bible affirms that when we are in the midst of injustice and struggle, we don't face these things alone, that God is, in fact, there in our midst with us. Isaiah wrote, don't be afraid, because the Lord God says, I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. In fact, Jesus gives us incredible insight into just how much God is with us and for us. When, when Jesus saw this incredible sadness of Martha and, and Mary uh, on the death of their brother, Lazarus. The Bible tells us something that was so profound. And, and some of you know, it is actually the shortest verse in the whole Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Now, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew that he had eternity laying before him, but he saw the sadness and he cried with us. And this gives us an incredible insight into God himself because Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What I do, I do because the Father does. And so when we see Jesus crying, it means God is crying with us. When we're trying to deal with a loss, when we're struggling or suffering, God is there with us in the midst of it, even crying with us. We are not alone. He is on our side so that ultimately we can trust God to see us through challenging times and even, even bring some good from them. The Bible points us to God to trust him even when we do have struggles, even when we have questions. Because it says in Romans eight twenty eight, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The Bible isn't saying necessarily the result will be better than what it might have been, though sometimes it is. But it is saying that no matter what happens, if we love, if we trust God, when we don't see the way through, when we don't see how it's going to come out, but we continue following him and working for his purposes in our lives, God can and will bring some good out of difficult, trying, horribly sad circumstances. And in fact, it is in those trials sometimes in this kindergarten of life that he grows us spiritually more than any other time. And in the midst of our struggles, fair or unfair, we know that what happens here on earth is not the final word for those of us who placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote, our homeland is in heaven. That's our homeland. That's what we grab onto. As John and Betty Stam, missionaries to China, were led to execution by their execution, their communist captor, someone asked them, where are you going? And after saying, John Stam saying he didn't know where the guards are going, he added, though, but we're going 
to heaven. I want to tell you, that's even better than going to Disneyland. It never gets old. Eternity with Jesus Christ. This life isn't all there is. And the, the promise of God is that the injustices of this life melt away in the light of eternity. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles are small and won't last very long even though they feel like it sometimes. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. When those things happen to us, when we, if even right now, if you're in the midst of those kinds of things, you can either stare at the problem or you can stare at God. And I assure you, one of them is much bigger than the other. One of them has answers. One of them will see you through. Doesn't mean we have to like what's happening. Oh, good, I'm going through suffering. It's going to help me. No. But at the same time, we realize that in the scope of eternity, this really is, this isn't even kindergarten. This is just the first five minutes of kindergarten. And this too shall pass. Don't know how? Don't have to know how. Because God will see us through and bring us into his glory. I mean, as strange as it sounds, blessing and praising God in the midst of our troubles and suffering will actually see us through. Praise him in the storm, as one contemporary writer says. To enable us to not focus on ourselves and perhaps even devastation, but to focus on him who is able. Not to become someone afflicted with a victim mentality, but someone who in Christ is a victor no matter what happens today, tomorrow, or the next day. Our prayer team is going to be down here. Maybe you need to come and talk with someone about how through Christ, not necessarily that all your problems will go away, but through Christ, he can get you through them. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, there's so much we don't understand. There's so many things that confound us, that are hard, that aren't right. And we know that you being a perfect, loving God, you hate them even more than we do. And yet they're there. And though you don't fix every little problem or let us fix every little problem, you walk us through them so that we're not ultimately victims, but in Christ we are victors. That what happens in this life does not have the ultimate say in what happens in the life. And that what we do now 
in the short run is incomparable to what you do in the long run. Kindergarten may seem like a big deal right now, but heaven is so much more. Help us to turn our eyes from trouble, from things that are unfair, from the wrong that's been done to us, to the, from the suffering that we are experienced, maybe because of illness or, or accidents or whatever it may be. And help us turn our eyes upon you, look full in your wonderful face, so that the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory. We ask this, we affirm this in the name of Jesus. God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.